Welcome to Momentum Church. Well, we had a little battle for the ages there, didn't we? And when we think of battle and war, um, sometimes a sword will play will come into to play, right? And so today I want you to open your Bibles over to Revelations chapter 2, and we're going to get into the church at Pergamum, the church at Pergamum, and we're going to see that there's kind of a war going on with this church, all right? This, this, this spiritual community in the midst of the city of Pergamum, and there's an internal battle going on. Obviously, there's things outside of the church that are going on in this city, but within the church, there is something going on that is kind of a a fight. Everybody say fight. Fight. It's not a fight that's going on between factions in the church. That happens, doesn't it? Stop that right? We we don't want to be ever like that, right? It's not like that. No, but it's a fight for those that want to walk after the things of God the way the scripture prescribes. And then within the church, those who want to kind of water. And I'll come back to the sword here in a little bit, but I really want to get right to scripture. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I want to honor God's word. And we've shown you already that revelations, as it talks about this prophecy that speaks both to end times, but it also speaks to churches that were in existence right then at that day. We see that those who hear and respond to this word, they will have a blessing. Say blessing. Blessing. And so as we look to do this series, it was kind of like, all right, seven weeks of looking at some really great churches and some churches that are struggling. Is it going to come across for seven whole weeks like we're just going to smack you, smack you, smack you, smack you? And everybody say yes. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's actually, the truth of the matter is, at that time, very similar to our day and age, we're living in times much like that day, that, that there is a fight, there's a war, there's something going on supernaturally and spiritually that is trying to rob the effectiveness of God's people, all right? And, 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 and God in the midst of it says, but here's a better way. Here's how I would have you to live. Here's that disc of truth, if you will, that you can, in the midst of lava, find safety, find rescue, all right? Well, is Christianity all about just safety and rescue? Oh, poor us. We need Jesus to save and rescue us. Everybody's like, you're sacred. No, no, I'm not being sacrilegious. Is that what all Christianity? No, there is the rescue that we need, but there's a valiant fierceness that should come upon us to honor the living God with everything that we are and everything that we do. And when we have that kind of mindset, that kind of decision, thank you for the rescue, God. I found that disc. I found that place of safety. Now I want to go into that mode where I'm bringing people. I'm leading people. I'm by my example showing people the great greater ways that bring blessings to their lives. Give God some praise. Amen. And so that, that's what we're talking about as a church is in the midst of all this stuff going on, that we would find a place of blessing, that we might be a blessing, not blessing, that we might look down our noses at anybody. Amen. You guys know that, right? I've told you guys this for years. If you will live holy, but not holier than thou, you will change a world. Amen? But the, but the key is walking in the Word, walking as God would have us to walk. And so I've been doing a lot of talking, and I haven't been doing much turning. So let me get over here to Revelations. Where's that at? Okay. Just kidding. All right. So 
in the verse, let's come down here to verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast. I love that. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some, say some, so it doesn't sound like it's everybody, right? Like, like, like you might look to your neighbor, like Pastor Brantley said last week, look to your neighbor and say, it ain't me, baby. No, don't say, it's not our allowing the teachings, if you will, of Balaam and Balak to get involved, all right? So you also have some, and I love this, this is the some we want to be a part of, who hold the teachings, oh, I'm sorry, not this is the part we want, the, the, the part we want is those who, 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 who are, are holding fast, all right? But these are the ones who are holding to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, therefore repent, if not, I will come to you and war against them with the sword of my mouth. That's heavy. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, though, watch this. This is those, and I pray that you're listening to the sermon, and you're saying, man, Ross, I want to be the one who conquers. I want to be the one who overcomes when it comes to my life. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. All right, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you just stir our hearts today? Would you just draw us close to you, Jesus, I pray, as we teach your word in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have your seat. So this city of Pergamum, if you were to go there now, the, the old ruins of the city of Pergamum are there. And built upon those old ruins is now the Turkish city of Bergamum. So this is still a city that exists um, all these years later, 2000, almost 2,000 years later, in the city or in the country of Turkey. The city at that time was very wealthy, all right? The city at that time was very cultured, very educated, but it was a city driven by the worship of false gods. It was a city that at every turn, you could see people worship. There was temples on every corner to almost every known God of the day throughout the city. They worshiped Zeus, who obviously is the chief God of the Olympian pantheon. And, and in 1871, an altar was actually found in the ruins of Pergama. And on that altar, it said, Zeus the Savior. Zeus the Savior. It, it, it's possible that the mention of Satan's throne in this passage of Scripture, some would say, is a reference to this altar of Zeus, this, this throne, this literal throne where Zeus is Savior. It could have been the Satan's throne that we're seeing here in this passage of Scripture. They, they worshipped a god by the name of Dionysus, who was the god of, 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 of the, the grapevine and the harvest and wine and, and, and such. And, and they worshipped him through theater. They would write all these plays about him. But then they would use substances and various things to get themselves into kind of a ruckus, a frenzy, all right? Some sort of uh, ecstatic state. And that drunkenness would lead to uh, drunken parties and, and even sexual freedom. Even one of the names for Dionysus was the word that we get the word freedom, like Libro, you know, where we get the word freedom. 
And so with that, you had a culture that was very, and I, I actually, when I was reading about this, I thought, man, it just seems like when you think of our culture, man, everything, oh man, I'm not saying we worship theater, but I sure have some favorite stars. I really do. You know what I mean? Like, it captivates our culture. It fat captivates our communities, you know? And, and I don't think that's a, an accident. That, 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 that in that culture, things can be celebrated. In that culture, that, 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 that things can be embraced. And it goes all the way back. And, and do you understand why that is? Can I just tell you why there is underlying themes and we're not against music, we're not against theater, we're not against parties. Amen? Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Because a Holy Ghost party don't... Oh, come on. You left me hanging. It don't stop. But, but, but we're not against all those things. But does it make sense to you? Does it make sense that, that throughout the centuries there's similarities to the worships that we have toward idols? Idols take different looks, but there's similarities. Can I tell you why? Because there's similar demonic activity from the dawn of time that has tried to say, I can do it better. You can experience better than this fellowship with God. God only wants you not to partake of that because if you partake of that tree, you'll be just like him. I've got a better way. And that's just, that's that demonic spirit that has permeated for centuries. And this city has got to a place where it's just full of this. And that drunken, the drunken parties would lead to just sexual freedom that was so outside of God's intentions and plans. The residents of Pergamum also worshipped Caesar. It was actually the first city that had a temple dedicated to emperor worship, which is a big thing in Roman culture. But Pergamum was the city. It was the place. They, they were so open to paganism and worship of all these gods, it was easy for them to buy into the next idol. To buy into the next, oh, and the emperor's going to be a god that we were? Of course, let's build a temple for him, you know? And so this tied them and their pagan worship to social and civic duty. Don't miss that, okay? Social and civic duty was tied to this emperor worship. It's kind of like nowadays, like, like in our mindset, it's almost a new morality, that we would have a standard of any sort, all right? It's a new morality that, that, that if we had a standard, it would, I'm sorry, I should call it a new immorality. Don't miss, don't miss this, okay? This ain't in the notes. Let me just kind of go off page. A new immorality. How dare you say there's a standard? How dare you say there's a line? How dare you say there's right and there's wrong? Who are you? Are you God? No, I'm not. That's why I have a God that has told me. I'm not God. And so this sense of a new immorality has come that you as Christians, you know you are so immoral to say there's a standard. How dare you, you bigoted person? At home, right? How dare you sitting on your couch thinking there's a moral standard, you bigot? How judging are you? How... And so this new immorality has come that stands against this, this civic and social morality that is, is based in idolatry. It's based in demonic worship. Does that make sense? And it's going to get worse. That's what this sermon's about. It's, I'm not, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But God is always looking for a remnant. He's always looking for a people, not to get haughty and arrogant and prideful, but to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. That's heavy. 
And so this war is taking place, if you will, in that city. And, and, and it's creeping into the church. And so Pergamum, if I can define it as anything, it was a church in danger of being corrupted. That's what Pergamum was, a church in danger of being corrupted. I do love that it's not the whole church. We'll get to that in a second. In Revelations 2.12, we saw that it said, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write this, The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Now, remember two weeks ago, I told you that after identifying who the letter is written to, this letter is written to the, the church in Pergamum, then Jesus will be identified as the speaker and a portion of his character that is needed for that church will be revealed. So we can see here that Jesus is revealed as the one who has a two-edged sword. Now, we can use Scripture to help us define Scripture. So let's look at Hebrews 4, verse 12. Because it talks about a two-edged sword in Scripture, doesn't it? It says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. Two sides. This thing cuts twice. This thing cuts, in other words, it divides. It separates what is on the right side and what's on the left side. If I was to strike Jonathan, Jonathan's big self would fall to the right and fall to the left. Yea, I would never strike Jonathan, for he is large unto the Lord. No, that guy, he's a big guy. I'm not touching him. But if you were to... If I had a watermelon, shh, strikes to the left, strikes, it's going to cut both ways, okay? And when it goes through something, it's slicing both ways. So um, the idea of this, it says here that it, it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. His word is like a sword, and being struck by it, it is not something pleasing, it, it, it hurts at times. At times, it feels uncomfortable. At times, it divides my intentions from my, 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 the truth that I know is to be the truth. And so the sword, it cuts at times, all right? And not only in Scripture do we see here that this two-edged sword is making a distinction between the two, like, like our decisions. We can see that Jesus is making a distinction in this regarding the people in the church, all right, we'll get to that here in a second. But this sword, it says, is coming from the mouth of Jesus. And, and I love that as you look, his word is mouth. And the reason why I believe it comes from his mouth is because he's a speaking God. His word is, I want to hear God say something. I'm praying about something. If God will reveal this to me, then I'll make my decisions based on what God reveals. But you know what? God's not revealing that to me. So if he's not revealing that to me, then I don't need to make my decisions. We already have his word. You can't trust your interpretation of your feelings to the Spirit of God. You can trust the Spirit of God, but you can't trust that you'll hear. There's times we pray and pray and pray. God, tell me, God, tell me, God, tell me, God, tell me. And Jesus says, I already have. Amen? It's the Word of God coming from his mouth. This sword coming from his, his mouth. And so when we, we, we want to hear Jesus, we do. But can I ask you, are we listening to what he is saying right now? And I believe that was an issue with the church in Pergamum. They had so much of the culture that if they were not 
to be a part of it, they wouldn't be counted as normal to society, as normal to their civic, even their duties and such as a citizen of Rome. And so they're not heeding the word of God. It puts too much of a burden upon them to heed the word of God. And so they just don't listen. And so when we look at the word of God, there's two things that the word of God really is. The word of God, number one, is God's character. Okay? It's who he is. You want to know the character of God? You can see it here in Scripture. That's the first thing. And we're supposed to see it and line ourselves up to his character. Number two, it's God's principles. It's what he does and how he would want us to live. And guys, it's at times it flies in the face of our own desires. At times it flies in the face of our, our decisions that we want to make. That's why it's a, a sword. That's why it's a divider. And it's one of those things where it hits and it's like, oh, but I want this, God. But God, your word says, this is what I'm to embrace. And so I find that disc. I find that place. Lord, this is uncomfortable. Did it look comfortable when those families, those friends were trying to get on that disc? And it feels very precarious at times. But that's the place of safety, his word. And so we see his character revealed. We see his principles revealed in this. And as I said, not only does Scripture reveal his character and the principles we live by, it also, his word, his sword, the Scripture starts to show us in Revelations that Jesus comes to be a sword, to make a distinction in his house. And now when I said that, to make a distinction in his house, I'm hoping there's some people here today, you do, you feel your toes kind of curl back a little bit. You know, it's, ooh. I hope there's a sense of undoing in the areas that need to be, un, that are undone. And guess what? Pastor has those too. I will never stand at this pulpit and point my finger at you, ever. I know there are struggles I have too. Amen, Amy? I gave you an opportunity. You'd be like, yeah, preacher, say that, you know. <laughs> I thought she was going to like shout her hair down right there. No, no, every one of us. But just because we struggle and things like that doesn't mean we can't go, hey, this is what the word says, you know? So yeah, there's a distinction in how I'm supposed to live. But then in the scripture shows this distinction in the church. It says, listen, I know where you dwell. God knows, man, the world that we live in, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed. I, I know, I know, I know that you're in the midst of all this cultural struggle and cultural confusion. I know you're in a world where, where, where so many things are idolized and elevated above the word of God. But you know what? Some of you, and I want you to see, Pastor's eyes, some of you, you have tried to hold fast when it's been hard. Jesus, the one with the sword coming from his mouth, he would look at you and say, well done. That's what he's doing here. He, he's, he's making a distinction. Well, but I don't understand. I thought judgment's not supposed to happen. No, no, no. Scripture says judgment begins in the house of the Lord. If you profess faith in Jesus, you open yourself up to the judgment of Jesus. Well, that's true, Ross, and I'll let Jesus judge me, you know. Well, no, his word judges us. You see that? His word judges me, and I miss it. And then I say, God, help me. I told you guys years ago, there was a, 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 I was watching a show, and Amy, she asked me about it. And she's like, 
Ross, I looked up the background on the show, and man, there's some things in it that I just don't think are God-honoring, and, and are you okay with that? And guess what I said? This is, I what, five, six years ago, seven years ago? I was like, well, I just really didn't notice. She goes, well, you should have. You should have. And she was right. Over time, and that father's highs, and I just didn't notice anymore. And that Father's Day, it was around Father's Day, I want to say it was seven, six years ago. Man, I went to an altar. No, I, no, I don't care if any other daddy was at the altar. I went to an altar by myself during worship. I, I just wanted to, God, I'm putting my heart to you. Help me in this. I think, I think it, was, it was the Sopranos. I do remember it now. Just a good gangster show. That's all it was. And I'm not going to judge you if you like the Sopranos. I'd like to know how it ended. <laughs> I'm serious. I think the last thing, I remember they were on a boat, and, and I don't know what happened after that, you know. I'm sure somebody was killed. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Hmm. But these people have held fast, it says. and They held fast to two things. One, they held fast to his name. He says, my name. In other words, they professed the name of Jesus as supreme over all other gods, like over all other paths, over all other ideologies, over all other inclinations, over all other social norms, over all other civic norms, but it's legal over all whatever it might be at that day and time. They said, no, we're going to hold fast to Jesus' name. Number two, we saw that they did not deny their faith in Jesus. Their faith was rock solid. So yeah, they professed Jesus as supreme, and then they made a decision at a cost that they would follow Jesus with everything they had, no matter what. And the writer, the revelator, John, right now reveals to us what that cost was for one of their own, Antipas. And Antipas was martyred for his faith. Do you know how they martyred Antipas, what history tells us? You ready for this? And we talk about persecution, okay? You ready for this? They, they made a brass bull. And, which was one of their symbols of idolatry, and they put Antipas in the brass bull, and they roasted him. That's heavy. But Jesus is looking, going, amidst all this, you have held fast. You have held fast. The Greek word for holding fast, you hold fast, is krates, krates. And it comes from that root krateo. It means to be strong, to rule, to have strength, might, dominion, power, all those kinds of things. But can I tell you right now, if you want to hold fast, if you want to have krates, if you want that in your life, you will never rule in life if you won't let the word rule over you first. One who walks in authority will live under authority. When we choose to live under this, then this has rule and reign over our, our lives. And, and so, so he's commending them that you have not denied me. You've held fast. You let the word reign supreme. My name and all that I am, you've let me, that faith that you profess, rule and reign. Not a faith that you create, but a faith that I have prescribed. You've allowed it to rule and reign over, over you. And, and he even names a few people, all right? One thing that he named was the Nicolaitans, and he came against the Nicolaitans. They taught that because of the spiritual freedom that we have in Christ, it gave us spiritual freedom to worship 
idols and embrace immorality. We had such freedom in Christ, and they were part of the Gnostic movement. The Gnostics would separate mind from spirit or mind from flesh and spirit from flesh. So if that's the case, I can set my flesh over here and say, but I won't fit into my neighborhood if I don't go to the Dionysus party and rock on with them. I won't fit in. Now, you all know I've been to some parties. I'm not against partying. I've been to some secular parties. I'm telling you right now, okay? I've been to pasta and parte, all right? But in this culture, it was the idea that if I go there, okay, I, I, I've got to be able to fit in and show my, my love of the emperor, my love of my civic community, and I don't want to be an outcast. And so I go and I do it, but that's okay. That's all right, because that's in the flesh. But then over here in the spirit, I can do the spiritual stuff. And man, this was, this was what was coming into the church of Pergamum. Remember, if I can't corrupt, I'll, I'll, I'll con- get them to compromise, you know? That's what was going on here. And so they were pressing into that. He said, I have a few things against you, verse 14. You have some here who hold the teaching of Balaam. And, and I really want you to catch that. You have some here, some here, some here, some here. We saw here that there are some who do not deny faith, and there are some who do. Well, I'm not going to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, you're right. Come. One more won't matter. You know? (laughs) I mean, I get There's all types in the house of God. I get it. And so now he's pointing to those who some have really tried to press into their faith. Some are trying to bring the sense of compromise. He says here, you have some here who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, So they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. And so this idea of food sacrificed to idols, I believe, is pointing back to Dionysus a little bit. That whole culture of of worshiping these gods and, and such. So also, some of you held to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So we already talked about style is flying in the face of God. But what flies in the face of God's word, okay, is, is their lifestyle. is flying in the face of God's word. And there's two things that you see. One, you're eating food sacrificed to idols. In other words, you've allowed yourself to walk into religious compromise. Religious compromise, all right? I'll mix a little of this and a little of that. I have a dear friend, breaks my heart. Wants the move of God in her life, asks for prayer all the time, but will not freaking put crystals down to save her life. And wonders why she goes from one man to another man to another man, another thing, another thing, another thing in her life, because she won't let the Lord rule over her. But guess what? I'm always going to be there for her. And every time it falls apart, she calls me. And every time it falls apart, I point her to the word. You know why? Because it's never too late. I don't shun her because someday she'll realize the gods of this world will not satisfy. But she has such religious compromise. Can I just tell you something that gets on your pastor's nerves? I I hate it when I hear people say, I'm sending good vibes to you. You don't have nothing to sin but the move of the Spirit. You don't have good vibes to sin. Man, if you're a Spirit-filled believer, tell them I'm praying for you. If they ask you to send good vibes, I'm praying for you. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just saying Christ followers have had religious compromise, and they're mixed. And that's just one little thing I see. that I'm like, no. Do you believe in good vibes, sending good vibes? No. Where two or three gather together agreeing in my name, I will be in the midst of them, and they will speak to a mountain. Be thou removed and cast into a sea. That's power.
power. That's authority. Amen. That's one that's coming under. Let's not, let's not water that down. Well, I just don't want to offend them. They're asking for good vibes. Well, don't offend them. Just let them know you're praying for them. What Flies has said, number one, is religious compromise. The next thing is, it says they practice sexual immorality. It's moral compromise. Fair compromise. I know what the scripture teaches about sexuality. I don't care. I profess Jesus, but I will live with my lived-in person and still think I'm okay. You're not. You're okay if you want to be the one on this side of the sword. And I'm not saying that in an ugly way. I'm saying God is a divider. If you want to be in this scripture, the one that he says, but there's some who have denied my name. And there's some, because you can look at it the opposite way. There's those who have not denied my name and they have not denied faith. So if I am denying his word, his character, and his principles, then I'm denying his name and I'm denying his faith. I just, all I'm getting at is, which side do you want to be on? I'm not talking about those who struggle and stumble. How many struggle and stumble in here? How many sexually? You've, no, you don't have to raise your hand. But I'll be honest. I, most of us would raise our hand. Yes, we have struggled sexually, amen, through the years, right? But when you say you're a Christ follower at that point, which side of that sword do you want to live on? And that sword, I don't look at that sword as an evil thing. I look at it like a surgeon's scalpel. I'm trying to bring healing. Hey, you know what? This just popped in my head. Do you know one of the gods that they served? And I just forgot the name of the god. It starts with an A. But it's where we get the whole, you know, idea of, 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 of medicine. And, and we believe in medicine in this church. But the symbolism and such. God wanted to bring a scalpel to this church. He wanted to bring something to bring true healing. Not the healing that they would go after with this fake god, this false god. But true healing. And when that cut takes place, oh, It hurts. But it's a loving thing. It's a loving God trying to cut sin out of our lives. Amen? So all I'm saying is, and there may be some people today like, I ain't coming back. You know? Guys, we're a church always come as you are. We've always been a come as you are. We'll always be a come as you are church. But we will also always be don't stay as you came kind of a church. Amen? Every one of us, five years from now, should be at a level of growth and development and maturity and, and intimacy with the Lord more so than, than we were five years previous. Amen? So I just want to challenge you on that. Which side of that sword? He's coming to speak. Which side? Are you listening as the sword speaks? As you, which, which side? So moral compromise. And you can look at moral compromise in a lot of ways. And, and the Lord is speaking to my heart about some things right now that, that could be moral compromise. And Man, every one of us should be real humbled by that. I don't want to walk as a stumbling block, amen? I don't want us as believers. So we see here how Balaam was a stumbling block, and we see that he is being, being spoken against, and there's many that's following these teachings. Balaam tried to curse Israel three times, and it didn't work. The cursing didn't work. So with no effect, he decided he would create a plan, and if he couldn't curse them, Israel, he would corrupt them. So what he suggested, when you look back in the Old Testament, he suggested that the pagan girls would marry men, Israelite men, Jewish men, and would lead them into worshiping idols, becoming yoked together with worldliness, and thereby becoming corrupted over time. And that's what happened. The northern tribes of Israel ceased to exist. That's what happened. 
And so Balaam, he was telling the Israelites that it was all right to be involved with worshiping their God and participating in worshiping other gods. They could live a dual lifestyle, and that was okay. That's, that's what Balaam was teaching the Israelites. And we can see here this John, the revelator, and under the unction of the Holy Spirit, under Jesus' revelation, we can see him saying to the Pergamon church, there's some of you that's doing this. Can I tell you, Satan will try anything he can to destroy the church? And if he is unable to do so by persecution, then guess what? He will try to destroy the church through compromise. So when there is something trying to bring destruction, should we not war against that, right? When I say war, should we push against that? Not, not just fold our hands, not just, well, I'm trying to be tolerant. I mean, sh shouldn't there be a sense of we're fighting for his name and fighting for the faith prescribed in the scripture? Well, well yeah. And that's why it says that he warred against them with the sword of his mouth. In other words, we need Jesus to reveal truth to us and cut out the lies and the compromise and the paganism that is creeping into, you ready? Our hearts. You thought I was going to say the church. No. That's creeping into our hearts. That's creeping into pastor's heart. My heart. Amen? Let's bring it really close. Your heart. Amen? Collectively, we're the church. But that idea of there are some who this side, some who that side, it starts with one, two, and next thing you know, it becomes some. You know what I mean? So we start, how do we change the culture? We, we change it ourselves first. And I just want to say that the sword divides. It does. And so we can see here, a promise starts to come as this sword divides. And the reason why is because God is always looking for a people within a people. A remnant within a remnant. He is always looking for a man within a family of the sum that he's always he's always coming. Will you be of the sum that deny my, my my faith, chase after compromise, mix the idea of flesh and spirit and, and try to create your own religion, or will you be those that don't deny my faith and deny my name? Which which, which side? And then he gives us a promise. He gives us a promise that those that choose on this side, man, God's going to do something. Like I said, the floor is lava, but there's a place of blessing. It's crazy, but there's a place that we can be separated to, a place of sanctification, where we can be set apart as holy unto God's purpose. There's that place. We can see even in Jesus talking about how there's a separation between sheep and goats. This was people who all thought they were part of the faith. They all thought they were part of Christianity, but Jesus says there'll be a separation between sheep and and goats, the sheep are those true followers of him that know his voice, that listen to the father, the shepherd, as the shepherd calls. The goats are those who are in pretend, they're, they're part of it, but they're not listening to the shepherd's voice. And so we can see here, this division happens. But can I tell you something? God is not a cosmic killjoy. Amen? He is not. Man, he wants to bring joy, true happiness to our lives, true blessing to our lives. So when he makes a division, he will always bring an anointing and a blessing for the ones that make the right choices. It's not like, hey, stop this. Can I just give you, I'm going to give you just an example. Do you know like when it comes to premarital cohabitation, the average divorce rate, and this is why I'm so strong on this with people, 45 
50% of people get divorced. You know, I love, I've been pastoring for nearly 30 years. That is not the percentage in the church. Come on. Do you know that? I'm being honest. And it's not because we're right and arrogant and all that. No, it's, it's because we choose to submit our lives to a different rule. And so when Amy and I have difficulties, I'm not leaving her over those difficulties. I'm submitting myself to a different rule, and it strengthens our marriage. I haven't had 45 to 50% of my congregation divorced. I've had a lot. And guess what? We love divorced people. If you're married, stay married. We'll help you. But if you're divorced, you're not second rate. We have divorced people that have been on staff. Amen? Divorced board members. Amen? I love divorced people. <laughs> But here's the thing, 45, 50%. Listen, do you know what the, the percentage goes up to if you're living together before you get married? 83% of people who live together, who say, I know what God's word says, but I don't care enough to live it, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Your percentage of divorce rate goes from 45, 50 to 83%. Why wouldn't your pastor try to speak strong and be a good shepherd to you and say, don't do that. Don't. I want, you to, I want you to be enjoying your wife for, for 40 years from now, 30 years from now. And the path you're going, why, pastor? Why is it? Is it because is it God's like, well, you violated my commitment? No, I believe it's pragmatic. I do. I believe, it's pra- I believe it's a person that says, you know what? I will do what I want. And during the courtship, it's fun. And everything's going great. And all that, we, just, we just take care of each other's needs in every way. You know, every, we just love each other. You know, all five love languages, you know, the book, we do them all. We just do them all. This is different for us because look how, look how good this is. You know, love, that, you know how that goes. But after you get married a little while, guess what? Yo, selfish self comes back out. And you trained yourself for all this time. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you think, God. Now it's, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you think, wife. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you think, husband. Do you see? It's, it's a training. There's something powerful. When we live under the rule of something, the rule of that thing can have expression in our lives. And this is full of promise and blessing, and God wants it all for you. Amen? Does that make sense? All right, cool. Um, I, that's just one area. It can be anything when it comes to those things, all right? So here's the promise, though. When God, God's going to give you a promise. All right? That divorce rate's going to go way down. I'm just throwing that out there, you know? But here's the promise. To the one who conquers, there are three extraordinary promises that are given. It says there'll be hidden manna, a white stone, and a new name that he's going to give to us. And I'll hit these real fast. It says you're going to get some hidden manna. The person who overcomes worldliness, the one who stops feeding on the world, will be given bread from heaven. Jesus, he identifies the presence of the Lord himself as that bread. He made the connection between the manna of Moses' day and his own self. In the book of John, he said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Amen? And then it says it's hidden. Why? Because it's exclusive for the true followers of Christ. The bread of heaven is exclusive to the true followers of Christ. It's hidden. Number two, a white stone. At the time the book of Revelation was written, a white stone was equivalent to innocence. 
You would have a black stone that signified you were guilty, a white stone that signified that you were innocent. And so if you were tried for a crime, that white stone would signify acquittal. Every one of us in this room is guilty, 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 guilty apart from Jesus. But when we go after Jesus, I'm not saying going after perfection. The church of Pergamon, even the ones doing right weren't perfect. None of us in this room will ever be perfect. We better stay humble and not self-righteous, amen? But when we go after Jesus... His blood covers our sins, and we have a white stone, acquittal. I love that. To receive a white stone, it means you're free from condemnation. You've been tried, and you've been found worthy because of Jesus. That white stone is a symbol. It's white. It's a symbol of purity. It's a symbol of, it's, white. it's a stone. It's hard. It's, it's solid faith. It's a symbol of that solidity of your faith. That you've become through your faithfulness and your determination one who desires to rule over sin. That, that's what it's symbolizing. Amen. And then finally, that new name that is written on that stone, written on the stone of a solid, unwavering faith will be your new name. This new name that you have written on the stone, I don't know what it is, but it is something that he knows, and it's the testimony of your spirit. It's the testimony. It's the marker of who you really are. It's the marker of how God sees you. And you may come today, Pastor, I'm so broken. There's so much struggle in my heart. You're saying this dividing thing. And, and look, I want to be on this side. I want to be on that side that doesn't deny his name. I want to be on that side that, that walks out my faith. But whew, there's such a struggle with me. Can I just say, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Be an overcomer. And all that he says you are, it'll be written in stone. All that he has for you, it's not wavering. It will be written in stone. He sees the new creation in you. The result of your faithfulness to him and his commandments. He, the, the, the result of what his blood has done to you. And you have not denied what his blood wants to do in your life. How he wants to cover you. And man, that labels and identifies you and marks you for eternity. <laughs> and there comes that moment when there's no more battle to overcome sin. You have overcome. You have conquered. Until that day comes, we're going to be fighting with this division thing. We're going to be fighting with, when I say division, my own heart. And I'm going, God, allow your word to pierce me and allow everything that's not of you fall this way and everything that's of you fall this way. But there'll come a day when that battle will be over. We will overcome sin. And in that new creation, we will live in eternity with purity and all that God has for us. Amen. Bow your heads for a second. I know we went long. If you're here this morning and there in your, in your living room or in your car, wherever you're watching this, if you're saying, Pastor, I am, there's some things that God's putting his hand in my life. He's, he's pointing to today. And it's a struggle for me, Ross. But I know I want his, his sword to pierce and to cut through so that all that he is will stand and everything else will die. I want to be one that doesn't deny my faith. I want to be one that doesn't deny his name. I'm struggling, Ross, though. I'm struggling right now. If that's you, just hold your hand up so I can see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anybody else in the room? Amen, amen. I see hands, I see hands, I see hands. Jesus right now. We will never be perfect, but we will be perfected. 
And we just invite you to perfect us. We invite you to have your word at work in our lives. And we submit to your leadership in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.